Mark chapter 5. Now when they had come from the other side of the sea to the region of the Gerasenes, as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit come out of the tombs and met him. This man lived in the tombs. Now listen, you're gonna, uh, he's a demon-possessed guy, and we see a lot of this in the Gospel of Mark. And what you're going to see is, is this is really even the way society today tries to, to handle the, you know, people with significant issues. And, and I'm not against it. I'm not making a commentary on it. I'm, one thing I am saying is that it doesn't always work, does it? Here we see him. Uh, they, they try and isolate him. So he's into the tombs, kind of out where there's death and decay. And no one is able to restrain him anymore. Uh, you know, we, we really don't have a high success rate of rehabilitating people with a lot of significant issues in their lives. Isolation, rehabilitation, don't do it. You know what it takes? It takes regeneration. And some of us are sitting in this room who had some significant issues. Could have been mental, could have been emotional, could have been uh, physical, could have been spiritual, could have been addictions, could have been things that we were dialed into and walking into and doing. But there was something about the regenerative power of Jesus Christ that come and worked in us. It says, no one is able to restrain him anymore, even with chains, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but he just snapped off the chains and he smashed the shackles. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's a guy, I mean, we're talking incredible Hulk guy, you know? No one was strong enough to subdue him, and always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. So you see the, the, the destructive, the self-destructive issues he's dealing with, and it's obvious uh, we, we see that today. Now, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran up, and notice what he does. He kneels down before him, and he cries out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus says to him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And uh, a legion usually was 6,000 soldiers. Uh, a legion was in the Roman, was a term used in the Roman army of 6,000 soldiers. And he said he kept begging him not to send them out of the region. As you see in the scriptures, there's a lot of demonic forces and influence that really are regionally based. Uh, and probably if you look throughout our world, you can see how these forces, uh, Ephesians 6 calls them the powers and principalities of the air, how they really are influential in different regions and places and areas. And if you really stop to think about it, you can see wherever there's this, this common sin, major sin taking place, that's probably a little bit of a demonic force and influence. So verse 11, now a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission, and then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and this herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and there they drowned. The men who tended them ran off, and they reported it into the town and the countryside, and people went out to see what had happened. They came to see Jesus, and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Notice the juxtaposition there. The guy's dressed in his right mind. Now they're still afraid. 
The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man, told about the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. Now, as as, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. Lord, let me go. Let me go. Let me go with you. Uh, But Jesus would not let him, and instead he told him, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went back and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis. The Decapolis uh, really is a region of 10 cities. It's kind of like if you were to say, uh, we live in Northern California in the East Bay in Martinez. Well, uh, the East Bay is made up of a number of cities. So that would be like the Decapolis. When they say Decapolis, they're talking about like how we would refer to the East Bay. You go back to the East Bay, to your Decapolis, and you tell them what Jesus has done for you. And it says they were all amazed. So as we continue our study here in Mark, we see the disciples. Remember last week, these guys just faced the mother of all storms. They're sailors, and they are afraid. They're worried that they're going to die. So they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. It's probably the most potentially frightening storm that they've ever been in. And as they're getting out of the boat, they run onto terra firma. You have to understand, remember we talked about last week how tired they all were because they were involved in ministry. So they were ministry, they were tired, they were exhausted. They probably just had an adrenaline rush and overload that was probably now just dissipating as they got closer to the storm. And what happens? They finally get their feet on terra firma. And all of a sudden, this crazy man runs to him. I mean, you want to talk about going from drama to drama. So Mark tells us that this demonized man, he's tormented by evil spirits. And the idea behind that, this tormented by evil spirits, is that they were manipulating him. They were were using him for their own devices. They were putting him through drills, as it were. Now, I remember for, I, I realize that probably... For some of us even sitting in this room today in 2014 that we can begin to believe that, well, come on, I mean, really? Does this stuff really go on? Well, it seems that Mark is pretty clear about it and Jesus affirms it. That there really is, there's a devil today and there are evil spirits and influences. I mean, how else, how else can we really begin to discern and really understand all this stuff? I mean, listen, just read the papers this week that there isn't some kind of evil influence that can cause a father to destroy his children, that can cause all the the beheadings and all the stuff that we face. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus has just finished calming the storm of nature, and now he's going to calm the storm in a man. And really, that's what we love seeing, isn't it? We love to see people delivered and changed and given total freedom and given control. And this is really a study of control, or perhaps better, a study of a life out of control and how Jesus comes to bring control to it. Now, as we approach this text today, I uh, just if you on your outline there, it's nothing fancy, but I'm just going to walk you through it. So these first five verses, we really kind of see the effects. And as we approach it, uh, I clarify a few things. Number one, this man lived in a graveyard. You don't. Uh, he was suicidal. Hopefully you're not. 
the, the focus really is kind of on demon possession. I believe it happens. Personally, I've never really been around it. I've seen people who have had spiritual oppression and, and I believe influenced and affected by it, but I've, I've honestly never seen a demon possession. Now, I have, I have reputable friends who have reputable stories of how they have. Uh, but I've never been a demon chaser, and I won't till the day I die. If I face one, I'm ready. But there's no reason to chase them down. But I, I, I want you to see here the, the works of the enemy and his cohorts who comes to influence and, and to bring bondage to every one of our lives. And some of us, listen, I know some of us in this room right now, some of us in next service, we are dealing with areas and issues of bondage that Jesus says, I want... I want your freedom in these areas. And the enemy of our life wants to come and challenge that freedom, loved ones. This man is in a bad way, but listen, don't go Hollywood on me. Okay, this guy is in our culture today. He is around today. The only thing is, is he's, on the, he's in the pages of our newspapers. We probably have people around us at work and uh, hopefully not, but probably some even in our families. But this man is here today. We just simply use different language to describe the behaviors. People get opened up to the very influence. And I'm not, even, I'm not even necessarily saying possession, even though I do believe it happens, but all of us can open ourselves up to the influences of the enemy by, by moving into different realms of thinking and activities. Uh, one of the key areas is even drug usage. One of the things people don't understand about using drugs, you know, we've legalized marijuana and everybody goes, you know, I've heard people get really spiritual. Well, you know, it's herb of the earth. God created it. Well, okay, whatever. But... Uh, but we, but we think that's all all right. And if you study where it talks about uh, witchcraft in the Bible, you know what the word is? It's pharmakia. We, where do we get, what do we get from the word pharmakia? Pharmacy. And sometimes we, the pharmaceuticals that we use, I'm not saying they cause demons. You hear what I say, keep in balance. But they can have that, 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 that influence of these powers and principalities of the air that the Bible talks about. And if you see people that have heavily invested in drug usage in their life, if they haven't been totally delivered, you begin to see the effects of that. So this man, now, and, and I tell this story, and the reason, I, I, we don't talk a lot about demons or the, the, the spiritual stuff. We do, I've done series on it, and I believe in it. Listen, and I believe it's important to know about it, but I don't want to focus on it because I'd rather focus on Jesus. And when you talk about Jesus, pretty soon you really can't deal with this other stuff, stuff can't be around if you're walking with Jesus. But the problem is in the church, and sometimes with a lot of churches have an emphasis on this where they begin to see a little green demon behind everything. Oh, I had a flat tire today. It must have been a demon. Are you kidding me? I don't believe that. I just believe you had a flat tire. Now, because I believe that the, you know, the, the demonic forces of, of what we're talking about here, they got more important things to do than give you a flat tire. Or, you know, to cause you to, you know, have a hangdale or whatever it is. So I, I don't want us to be people that see demons in everything, but I want us to be aware of spiritual warfare because it's part of our life. It's out there. We live in it. I don't want to say it's not there. It is. 
But I don't give it much credence and I don't give it a lot of credibility in my life because the more room I give it, the more I'm gonna have to deal with it. So I don't wanna deal with it and I don't want you to deal with it. So this guy is possessed. He's legendary in this region. All the kids would have told their, all the parents would have told their kids and warned them, don't go by the graveyard. Don't go near the tombs. There's a crazy man there. He's naked. So you know what kids probably did, don't you? I was, Trina and I were in San Francisco this summer uh, for a day, and we're driving around, and, Tr- and, and Trina, hey, look at that naked guy on the bicycle over there. <laughs> I go, what are you looking at him for? Well, I, uh, I just saw him, and, and, and we were in, in this just crazy traffic, and all of a sudden, we see this little family, look like they were tourists, and two teenagers, younger teenage kids, and, and they're walking along, and all of a sudden, you just see them go, you know, and, and the parents are grabbing their eyes and telling them not to look, and then they're kind of laughing about it, and you can tell they're walking on, and all of a sudden, the two teenagers take a beeline back over to look at this naked guy on the bike, and it's, you know, that's kind of what people do, isn't it? You know, if we can see a train wreck happen, great. If we can see somebody naked, wonderful, on the bike in San Francisco downtown. And this was downtown. I mean, it's crazy busy. So I'm sure that probably a lot of kids went by the tombs to see this crazy man. So he had a reputation. But see, people had totally given up on him. They'd ostracized him, isolated him. There's no hope for him. And see, he's just surrounded by death and and decay. They tried to shackle him, but he'd break free. Uh, Just a quick reminder here. I said it, I don't know, a month or so ago. Jesus and the devil are opposite. Never forget that. Good, evil. But uh, they're not duking it out for control of the cosmos, okay? Jesus has overcome through the cross and his blood and his resurrection. He has the ultimate victory. We can never forget that. You know, the the Christian theology says he is the victor. He is the creator. But there is this, this term called dualism that kind of puts Jesus and the devil in this, um, um, uh, kind of dualistic thing where they're, they're co-equal and they're just fighting against each other. They're not. Satan's defeated. Uh, the, the thing is, is he still has opportunity to fight and to do battle against you and me and, and this earth. Never forget that. But recognize while we have battles, the war uh, has been won. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, if we know how our enemy works, then we can begin to defend ourselves. He says, don't be outwitted. Don't be ignorant of how the enemy works in your life because every one of us can win the battle or the battles that we face every day. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. See, we have to stand up against him. Jesus has given us the victory, but each one of us has to stand against him. And the more that we allow ourselves into things and elements of the enemy's territory, then we begin to take part in who he is and what he's doing. So we have to resist the devil then he'll leave. 1 John 4, 4 says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Listen, it's no contest. And sometimes we forget that. And a lot of us lose battles either because we're oblivious or we're ignorant or we really don't care. And if you're losing the battles, it's probably because of one of those three things. 
So there's a conversation that takes place in verses 6 through 10. This man runs up to Jesus. He falls on his knees. And you really know what that is, don't you? It's an act of religious worship. What do you do? Sometimes you'll come to a prayer night. Some of you might even do it here. What will you do? You're worshiping and you're just so overcome by the presence of God that you kneel down and you worship. And as this guy comes to Jesus, that's what he does. He kneels before him. And then what does he do? He confesses Jesus. What do you want to do with me? He declares, son of the most high God. He gets it. He knows it. He understands who he's kneeling before. Isn't it interesting that the demons instantly recognize who Jesus is while so many of the townspeople never get it? James 2.19 says this, that you believe that there is one God, good, for even even the demons believe that and shudder, and we see that here. So the evil spirits in this Gentile man, they recognize the presence of God, and what do they say? Don't torture me. Don't torture me. I beg you. See, Ephesians 4, 27, loved one, says this. Don't give the devil an opportunity. An opportunity is literally, in translations, a landing place. It's those areas in our lives where he can come, and the picture is establishing a beachhead. And the reason so many people, so many Christ followers are not free in their life is because they give the devil opportunity. They have these landing places. They have these beachheads, these areas of compromise in their life where I'm not talking about the, enter, the, 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 the devil and his emissaries, and none of us are even dealing with the devil. We're dealing with this cohort, you understand? Uh, but, but, but to give him that opportunity is simply those things where you're compromising what you know God's calling you to do and to become, and so you give him a landing place. You give him a beachhead, a place where he can come and set up his attack. I mean, just, uh, just a couple of quick, quick examples of this and, and extrapolate it out and make your own application. But I see, you know, sometimes you're talking with people that are married and they say, well, ma'am, I just got one of my spouses who's just really angry. Can I tell you, that's a beachhead. Because once that beachhead is established, is it so easy to just continually be an angry person and never deal with it? And I just hear people, oh, I'm just an angry person. I just get mad easy. I got a short fuse. No, you don't. That's, that's a work of the enemy in your life. And, he, and Jesus wants to re- deliver you from it. Pornography. Maybe there's, some, there's probably, you know, there's high percentage of possibility that there's people in here that's just a little bit of uh, recreational pornography. I'm not even talking about addicted. That's a landing place. That's a big place for the enemy to land. And I could, I could list a bunch of other things, but I won't go into that. You, you know, the Holy Spirit right now is probably speaking to you and saying, this is a landing place in your life right now. And I want to challenge you with it, and I want, to, I want to give you freedom in this area. So here's a question. Who was doing the talking? Was it the demons or the demonized? From the context, it kind of appears that it was the demons, doesn't it? Because they're the ones, they came and they said, don't torment me. But then the scriptures also said that he came and he bowed down and, and he declared and confessed that it's the Son of God. 
Well, I, I don't know that it really matters. Because uh, personally, I believe it was probably a little bit of both. Uh, but, but no matter, there's a, a couple of important things I want us to apply from this portion of the scripture. This is a classic work of the enemy of our lives. He will always come and want to make a deal with you and bargain. Remember the clip? If you know the show, they actually still have a modern day version of it, I believe. The whole idea when I was watching it with Monty Hall, he would come and he'd make all these deals with people. Do you want door number one or door number two or door number three? Do you want the money or do you want the curtain? And the amazing thing is, is everybody looked like a clown, you know, doing stupid things to get whatever they wanted. And oftentimes they would get sunk. And see, can I just tell you something? That's what the enemy does to you. He sets you up to look really stupid. He sets us up to look really stupid and then to live with the shame that causes from the deals that we make with the enemy of our soul. It's crazy because this is what he'll do. He'll say things like this, oh, go ahead and go to church, but go ahead and get blitzed on Saturday night and sleep with that person and then take care of it on Sunday morning. I'll make that kind of a deal with you. Oh, you can confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Good for you. Right on. But over here, you're a mess, and you know it, and you don't want to deal with it. And that becomes his landing place. And that's the kind of deals, loved ones, that the enemy of your soul really begins to make you believe and think is all right. And don't buy it. Don't be outwitted by the enemy. Because he'll want to make a deal. And you will never be totally free if you have these things going on over here and you think you can cover it or deal with it just because you come to church or you pray or you give or you do this. Don't make an enemy. I mean, don't make a deal with the enemy of your soul. You'll pay. You'll look like a clown. You'll get zonked. Uh, Secondly, Studying this week, I was just thinking about this. Whenever you hear yourself saying things to God that are accusatory, whenever you say things like, oh, God, you're just really hurting me. Don't torment me. If only you had done this, hadn't done this, I wouldn't be in such a mess. Whenever you hear yourself talking like that, it's probably not just you talking. probably need to recognize that as the enemy of your soul influencing you, talking through you, giving you thoughts like that. Because we sing it, we say it, but I don't know that we're convinced of it, that God is good. He is good all the time. Be aware of your language, your thoughts. Well, the swines and the pig pigs. Interesting. As I said earlier, a legion was a company of 6,000 Roman soldiers. Remember by this time, at this time, uh, Rome had conquered and was occupying really the known world, the entire region. Now this name was, I mean, this, this, this name legion not only signified a number, but I believe it also signified something probably even just or more as important that what it was saying about at that time, Rome had obviously uh, uh, conquered all of that whole region. But it's really saying this man, we have, uh, we have conquered this man. We have dominion. We have domination 
we have occupation of the territory of this man's life. So when confronted with Jesus, what do they say? Send me into the pigs. If we can't torment this man, at least let us torment the pigs. Now you gotta understand in this little farming community, 2,000 pigs. Someone said today that uh, I was reading and they said it was probably over a quarter of a million dollars worth of economic resource that that would have been even for today. So Jesus didn't command the pigs to go, the, the demons to go into the pigs, but what does he do? He gives them permission. So the demons leave the men, enter the pigs, and what do they do? They go and do this swine dive over the hill. And they die. And they just make a big mess. Now I can hear some of the animal protesters, you know, yelling about the injustice of this. Can't you? <laughs> Don't worry. Jesus created and loves animals. Well, well okay. Uh, so why would he let them go into the pigs? Some believe he's condemning the, you know, the paganism of these people, putting their personal profit over this person and his deliverance. And so he's judging their false god of money here because this, this is a Gentile. The Decapolis would have been a Gentile, not a Jewish region. Others say it's a commentary about pork meat being Jewish, you know. It's not kosher, but again, this was a Gentile region. I really don't believe that. That thinking, any of those thinking for this story, while it could have some merit, I don't believe it is right that Jesus let the demons go into the pigs and then got rid of the demons by driving them over the edge of the deep. I, I don't believe that. Hear me, underscore this. This is not an act of God. See, the pigs were simply doing what the maniac had been doing all along for these years, except the man had a remnant of soul, a sense of mind that kept him from going over the cliff. Here's the key. It's not the pigs. It's certainly not Jesus. It's the devil. He is a destroyer. Jesus said this in John 10.10 about the devil, about Satan, about the destroyer. The destroyer is actually one of his names that's used in the scripture. He said he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we see all three of those things happening there. He steals their money, he kills their herd, and he destroys the economic resource of a region. That's not Jesus. And it's so important to understand that, loved ones. It's never Jesus that destroys anything because he says, I come to give life and to give it more abundantly. It's the enemy of our soul that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Never forget that. The story gets a little weirder, though. These herdsmen, they rush back into the village with the story, and everyone heads out to the lake to see if it's true. There's dead pigs all over the place. Amazingly, the man is sitting there. So notice the deliverance there in, 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 in verses 14 through 17. Listen, this man for years has terrorized this region and this people. They did everything they would to stay away, to back off, and to avoid him. But now rather than thanking Jesus and lining up and saying, could you heal me, could you touch me? Instead, they're more afraid. And now they're begging him to leave. The only grateful person is the one who has been delivered. That is such a commentary on our culture. 
See, they were used to living in fear. However, when the man was freed and was dressed in his right mind, they were now afraid and filled with greater fear. You know why? Because they're really afraid and fearful of the new normal. See, people can get so used to living in the dark that they can become frightened by the light of Christ. And isn't it true? Change really can be frightening, even when it's good, even when it's right. They didn't know this new man, and they didn't know this stranger who came in with the word that freed this man. All they knew is that there was destruction around it. See, when people get free... It's really good, but it sets up a whole new paradigm, doesn't it? Think about a woman or a man totally has a totally out of control spouse. And they pray, Jesus, save this person. Save my spouse. Get him saved. Get him back in his right mind. And then all of a sudden, it happens. Jesus gets a hold of his heart. He... he, He's no longer out of control, drinking out of control, blowing money out of control, or blowing up in the home. And what begins to happen? Now more chaos breaks out. You know why? Because now the spouse doesn't even know how to live with the new normal. They have learned to navigate, to live with, and to work through, and to enable, and to manipulate, and to keep the crazy one in place. But now in their normal, thinking in their right mind, following Jesus, making decisions, that can be really hard. You know why? Because they've lost control. Because now Jesus is giving control back to the spouse. See, when living with someone who has become genuinely saved, it is a whole different program. Why did they ask Jesus to leave? I said it last week, Jesus is dangerous. Jesus had disturbed their ordered world. I mean, it was a crazy ordered world where men were in chains and pigs run free. But that was their normal. That's what they knew. But Jesus, listen, loved ones, when you, when you really invite him in to make a change, he will do it. And he will make a mess of your life at some point, at some time. But the worst thing you can do is ever to send him away and keep living in your disordered but status quo personal world. And that's what we try and do. We try and amalgamate his freedom with our chaos, and he's not there to make a deal. That's what the enemy does. Jesus says, I want your total freedom. You can see it at Creekside. Uh, Most of you have not been here for as long as I have, and I will say that probably the last six or seven months have been the greatest blessing that this church has ever seen. Most of you don't have a courtside seat that I have to see and to hear the God stories taking place. I mean, a week, honestly, loved ones, doesn't go by where I just go, phew, only God. As you can see, first service is full. There's some empty seats we could squeeze, but, but we're full. Second service is almost, is getting pretty close to full. 
I mean, like I, I, I told this person yesterday, I'd probably, I mean, we had this inc- just, uh, I wish I could even get, go into it, but just uh, this memorial service yesterday that we had was just really powerful in a unique way. It was really different from any that I'd done before. <sighs> the, the, the texture and the tenor of it, of this, just this wonderful man of one of our, the father of one of our guys in church here. And I didn't know him well, but he got baptized at Easter. And so we'd do this service, and uh, it went on for a pretty good length of time. And, and I'm done, and over, uh, I, I really didn't even get to kind of, you know, preach, teach my message that I was going to do. So, because it just went long, and I just felt like the Lord say, just do this, and dismiss the people to go celebrate his life with family. And so I was over there at the reception. I, I, don't, I don't usually go to receptions even because of, it's on a Saturday and I told you last week, you know, if you, were, if you preach a sermon, it's like working a whole week or a month or something like that. And, um, but uh, I, I just went over there and toward the end, this gal comes up to me and she goes, you know what, when you said this thing about God revealing himself to me, he did that today. He goes, I'd like to make an appointment with you to meet with you about it. And I said, well, great. Call my administrative assistant. Her name is Monique, and we'll talk. This gal might even be here today, but I told her I might tell this story if I had time. But So she comes, and she goes, well, I go, just kind of tell me what was revealed to you. And she goes, you know, I was sitting in service, and, and when you said something, you know, I, I kind of gave an invitation at the end, like I always do, kind of a soft invitation. And she goes, I sat there and I said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, I, I, I want you to accept me. And she goes, I said, is, that, is that what you wanted to come talk to me about? And she goes, yeah, I, wanted to re- I want to receive Jesus. I says, well, let's do it right now, you know? And, and I said, as a matter of fact, we don't have to do it right now. You just did it over there. So this is what I'm going to do. Would it embarrass you if I just laid my hands on your shoulders and just prayed for you? And she goes, oh, no, no, that'd be fine. So I just sat there and prayed with her. Only God can do that kind of stuff. I said, okay, now go tell your brother over there what you've just done. So she calls him over and she tells his brother. See, that's, listen, loved ones, that, 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 that can't be orchestrated by anybody but God. And that's the kinds of things that he's doing here. But you know what's amazing to me is then there's other people. Well, you know, I think, you know, people come, people go. And, 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 and it's not bad, good against anybody, but isn't it true everybody sees what Jesus is doing differently? These people did a man gets delivered. And all these people are, oh man, I'm more afraid now than I was with a demon guy. Listen, loved ones, you will see Jesus where you're looking for him. So we talked about last week in the kingdom when, when, or the last couple of weeks when we talked about the seed and how your heart's receiving it. Keep your heart soft. Keep it open. The last thing I want us to note is the response of Jesus. Jesus refuses to let the man come with him. Hmm. Whoa. That surprises me. I mean, Jesus, he's just delivered this guy, saved him. I mean, for me, he's my savior. Scripture says he's now my friend. Don't you find it surprising? Don't you think it would just be natural for Jesus to say, come on, join the band, brother. 
We got, we, got, we got some big stuff to do. I got about two and a half years to go. But he doesn't let this man come along. Why? Can't you kind of hear the church in the background or church people? Come on, man. Where's the follow-up? This man needs a support group. <laughs> the man won't make it. Now, hear me. I'm not making fun of us church people or the church because I believe in follow-up. I believe in help. But you know, what I've real, you know what I'm learning? This is true. Hear me. If you're in this boat, you know what I'm learning? Follow-up is good. It's important. But the people that have had an encounter with the living Christ, they don't necessarily need a lot of follow-up because as we talked about in Mark 4, they will press into, they will pursue, they will go after, they will lean into, look to, go for, get everything that they can from Jesus if they've got to turn over every rock and every other place to find him and to experience him. And there's other people that you can hold their hands, you can walk them, you can coddle them, you can pray for them, you can drive them to church, and they still won't make it. Now, I'm not saying no to one, but I'm just saying, ultimately, loved ones, just like Jesus saves people, he will keep people. And ultimately, I think that's how we find out where their heart is. Because too many people, man, that if Jesus isn't doing it for them, if, his, if, if, if they've come to him and he no longer meets their needs, fits into their schedule, tickles their spiritual fancy, guess what? Eh, I'll find something else. But Jesus knows a couple things here. That the good news of King Jesus and the kingdom of God, when it's truly operative in one's life, it will be shown through the evidence of a changed life. This guy goes home. You know what he does? He does a show and tell. He didn't tell the good news. He was the good news. Look what the Lord has done. Oh my gosh, aren't you Arnie? Aren't you the guy that was the demon-possessed guy that lived naked? I, I, you're him, amazing. And that's exactly what the people did. You see, first to hear this, not all are called to travel with Jesus, but are all are called to go home with Jesus. See, the proof of a life in Jesus is not first found in ministry. It's found in home. It's not what you say from a platform. It's how you sound in private. It's what you say in your personal relationships. It's what you say around the dinner table, the breakfast table. It's what you're going to say today when you sit at the lunch somewhere. And your kids hear you. And you go home and you talk about things or people or church. It's how you communicate in your neighborhood. It's how you live in your neighborhood. Those closest to you. Are you getting along there? Are you showing Jesus in those areas? See, that's where you know you've encountered Jesus. See, Jesus secondly knows that this man has been bound to demons for some portion of his life. He's been in a self-destructive mode. And Jesus realizes what some of us have learned, isn't it true? That when you're delivered, 
from addiction, from something, from something in your life that is destructive. See, Jesus knew that he had the potential to just simply take the place of the demons that held, the place that they held in this man's life. And sometimes, loved ones, when people come out of bondage to sin, addiction, a destructive lifestyle, religion can simply become a replacement. And I think, again, that's why you see so many people fall away is because they try and replace all of those other things that were negative and bad over here with their religious experience and religion. And they realize religion never fills or fulfills. Only Jesus can do that. And that is so critical. And so Jesus says, I want you to go back and I want you to live out the deliverance that I've given you. Religion can wear off and wear out. And something else could come and take its place. Hear me. Jesus says to this man, I don't want to control your life. I have come to give you control back. See, that's why I ask you that question at the beginning to discuss. See, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just gonna get in the back seat and let Jesus take over. No, 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 no. You pursue Jesus, you listen to Jesus, you allow Jesus to guide you, but Jesus came to your life not to control it, but to give you control. Oh, what a great day, loved ones, when we begin to learn that and live that out. And don't use Jesus as our escape hatch for what we do. But we say, God, you have given me control back. It's a great day when a city, a Decapolis, a region in East Bay is in need. It's a great day, loved ones, when God does a work in your life to meet the needs of your home and your city. And that's what he's doing. And by the grace and the power of God, we will continue to do that. We will go and tell our amazing story of God's amazing grace. While some of us have come out of deeper kimchi than others, while some of us have come out of deeper doo-doo than others, guess what? We have all come out of sin and we're coming out of it. Why? So we can do one thing. Go and tell his story about our story and the difference that it's made so people can go, whoa, that is amazing. Amen. Let's stand together.